0: Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is October thirtieth, 2023. It's been 3,536 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 249 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. During today's podcast, you can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed. And there is a link in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine morning reports, operational commands north, south and east of Ukraine, open source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mail bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, the truth. Because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. 1. Russian commanders have put mission objectives over all other considerations, and they are committed to capturing the Avdivka salient, regardless of the cost. 2. We maintain there is a growing possibility of Ukraine attempting a larger-sized wet crossing near Kherson. 3. The soft response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border will eventually lead to a significant incident that could result in military intervention. 4. We maintain our assessment that the commitment made by Ukraine's allies to provide the same level of military aid in 2024 as provided in 2023 is negative news due to Russia bypassing ineffective sanctions, increasing defense production, and receiving significant support from Iran and North Korea. 5. Russia is stockpiling missiles and drones for large-scale attacks on Ukraine's energy infrastructure as the weather continues to degrade, and the extended pause from large attacks is likely due to the historically warm and dry October throughout Ukraine. 6. We further assess that the sharp drop in missile and drone strikes in Ukraine is meant to keep the Russia-Ukraine war out of the news cycle, as global interest is fixated on the Israel-Hamas war. We believe this is being done to reduce political and public interest, artificially minimize the threat Russia's war of aggression on Ukraine represents to global stability, and blunt future military aid. 7. While the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. Before I start the action report, I have a couple of quick updates in some areas where there is less activity, so we can focus on more critical news and assessments. In Luhansk, fighting continued near Svatove at Raihorodka and in the Serebransky woods near Kremienna. In northeast Donetsk, mutual fighting continued north and east of Krystchivka and east of Andreevka in the Krystchivka area. In southwest Donetsk, Russian forces continued their tactical assaults south of Novomikhailovka. Further west, fighting was limited to harassing attacks, with Ukrainian forces containing the movement of Russian troops near Novodonetske, Urozhaine and Старомайорське in the EO. Today, let's start in Kharkiv. In the Kupyanskoyeo, Russian state media signaled that Ukrainian forces are increasingly on the offensive. Fighting continued south of Sinkivka, where Ukrainian forces made marginal gains, and west of Leman Pershy east of Kupinsk, fighting continued east of Ivanivka, where the situation remains stable. Most Russian bloggers have stopped discussing the fighting in the region, despite three weeks of significant offensive operations. Russian state media agency Russia Today, RT, ran a story highlighting a new variant of the T-80 main battle tank, stating that Russian forces are, quote-unquote, holding back the enemy near Kupinsk, versus portraying that there is, or was, an ongoing Russian offensive. Word choice matters, and after five months of claims that Kupiansk will be captured tomorrow, Russian state media appears to have toned it down a little. Moving on to the Donbass, there wasn't much news out of Luhansk or northeast Donetsk, so let's go straight to Avdiivka, where heavy fighting continues. On the north flank, Russian forces made tactical assaults in the direction of Novokolenove and Stepove, with Ukrainian troops holding their defense line in the area of the railroad tracks. At Avdiivka. Russian forces continued significant tactical assaults with the support of the Russian Aerospace Forces of AKS in the direction of Avdiivka from Kamienka, Spartak and Opetne, suffered losses and returned to their defensive positions. Despite the stability of the line of conflict, which is now in its fifth day, one Ukrainian soldier noted, quote, "Everything is just the beginning." On the south flank, fighting continued in the no-man's land between Vodianne and Severne, with a claim of marginal Russian gains northeast of Vodianne. We did adjust the war map west and east of Vodianne, shrinking the Russian advance toward Pervomaiske from last week and moving the line further east to the quarry. In total square meters, the change is a wash and doesn't represent a tactical improvement for either combatant. The general staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine GSAFU, reported that Russian attacks continued near Pervomaiske with no change in the situation. In Zaporizhia, heavy fighting also continues. The line of conflict, lock. Remained stable in the Urihivayo, with mutual fighting on the western edge of Verbove, the northern edge of Novoprokopivka, and west of Robotene, with no change in the situation. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that Ukrainian forces continued tactical assaults near Kopany and Nesteranka with no changes in territorial control. In Kherson, the establishment of the Ukrainian bridgehead on the left bank of the Konka river claimed its first big victim. Russian Colonel General Oleg Makarevich was relieved of command of the Dnipro grouping due to the Ukrainian offensive and was replaced by Colonel General Mikhail Tiplinsky. Tiplinsky is the commanding general of the Russian Airborne Forces, VDV, and has been used as a fixer to stop Ukrainian offensives. It is unclear if Makarevich has been temporarily demoted or permanently removed from command. Ukrainian forces continue to hold parts of Krynke and, based on the change in Russian command, are also maintaining their positions near Poima, Pishanivka and Pitstepne. Russian sources report that Ukrainian casualties are increasing, but express numerous complaints about the overall situation. Russian blogger Romanov Light, who is in Kherson, said Russian troops were only lightly engaged at Krynke, and due to Ukrainian drone operators, it was near impossible to move during the day. The enemy does not have a numerical superiority, but is actively, one might say, covering its amphibious landings with fire from various artillery, including cluster munitions. On our side, as usual, it's a mess, and we're ordered go there, do something. One gets the feeling that the group's command is absolutely incompetent. Unquote. A Russian drone operator complained that Ukraine was using electronic warfare to effectively jam the signals from many of their drones, which can't fly above 30-40 to 40 meters. Another mail blogger reported that requests for close-air support were denied, with mission planners saying they were told, quote, Our task is to work on the other, Quick side note, he means free Herson. Side. Why hit bonds and some grain elevators right now if you can strike to suppress those who are on the islands and are launching drones nonstop? Unquote. It is one thing to know that Moscow is prioritizing killing civilians and destroying Herson over supporting their own troops. It's another thing to hear it said out loud. In Russia, a lot of things went boom. In the Rostov region, air defenses were active in Rostov-on-Don, intercepting at least one Ukrainian drone or missile. In Krasnodar-Krai, at least one Ukrainian drone struck the Afibsky oil refinery. Russian state media claimed there was only minor damage, despite videos on social media showing a large fire. We'll link to the video and others mentioned in today's podcast in our daily situation report. There is a link in the description. In the Republic of Komi, an explosion rocked a fuel storage facility in the settlement of Usinsk. The tank that caught on fire was reportedly under maintenance, but emergency services couldn't get the fire under control. The tank collapsed, igniting a full tank next to it. Before I talk about theater-wide events, a quick footnote. We are covering the Israel-Hamas war and have started situation reports available through our Patreon. $5 a month gets you in-depth information about the Russia-Ukraine and Israel-Hamas war. There is a link in the podcast description. And now, on to theater-wide events. On the night of October 28th-29th, Ukrainian air defenses shot down the five Shahid-136 Kamikaze drones launched at Ukraine. The British newspaper The Times aligned with our assessment from October the 8th that Russia could use the Israel Hamas war and uncertainty about the future of military aid for Ukraine to its advantage. Quote, These are difficult weeks for Kyiv. With American weapons and Western attention suddenly turning to the Middle East, Russia threw more men and equipment into fierce offensives in the northeastern Donbass towards Kupiansk. In the southeastern Donbass in Avdiivka, and in Zaporizhia, to the north of Tokmak, to stop the advance of Ukrainian troops to the south. Unquote. United States Speaker of the House Mike Johnson signaled on the Sunday news talk circuit that Congress will not take up the issue of additional military aid for Ukraine next week, with time running out before a looming November the 17th government shutdown. <laughs> In the land of Mobix, Mobilization and Mir, Russia continues to ramp up its military-industrial capacity. Satellite images show that Russia has expanded the Chelyabinsk forging press plant. The new workshops are being used to manufacture missiles, and the workforce has reportedly grown from 10,000 to 17,000. Russia is field-testing an upgraded version of the Landsat Kamikaze drone called Izdelia-53. The new drone has redundant inertial guidance, making it even more difficult to jam and employs artificial intelligence to scan for its target. The new drone first appeared on October 21st, but not in significant numbers. Russia claimed that it will start production of a BMP-3 variant that has a reduced-sized turret from the T-14 Armada main battle tank. Moscow claims it will enter production in large quantities in 2024. The T-14 Armada was introduced almost 10 years ago and has yet to enter serial production. The Ministry of Defense brought the tank to Ukraine twice, with it failing field testing both times, never seeing the line of conflict. It was unclear if the reduced size turret would include the SA 82 1M 125mm smoothbore main gun designed for the T 14. If Russia does start production of the new gun, it would indicate Moscow found a way to break sanctions to receive the alloys and machining required to make modern barrels. In the War Crimes and Human Rights section, we discuss abuse and atrocities committed in Ukraine. Today's report does not contain graphic details. Multiple Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that in occupied Volnovaha, Chechenko Derovites executed a family of nine. The bodies, which included two children, were found in two homes on October twenty-eighth. The family had gathered to celebrate the birthday of Natalia Horkun. Several days earlier her son-in-law Andrei Kapkanets had gotten in a confrontation with Chechen troops. Local residents on social media accused occupiers of attempting to cover up the murder. But the size and brutality made it impossible to keep out of local media. The oldest victim was 53 and the youngest was 4. Finally, in geopolitical and economic news, the CEO of Naftogaz Ukraine, Oleksiy Chernyshov, said that he has no intention of continuing the transit of Russian natural gas after 2024, when the current contract with Gazprom expires. The refusal to terminate the contract early is not due to the fear of lawsuits on the part of Gazprom but is connected with the impossibility of depriving some European partners of blue fuel on the eve of winter, The pipeline is one of the main sources of natural gas for Hungary and Slovakia, which have become vocal critics of continuing military aid to Ukraine. Hungary signed a 15-year contract with Gazprom in 2021 and currently plans to end its dependency on Russian natural gas in 2050. Slovakia rejected a 2022 offer to bypass the Brotherhood pipeline and connect to the Yamal pipeline from Poland. And that's today's update. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand?